Chapter 17, Part 1 of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni chapter seventeen part one one wish is often enough to allow a man no peace what then must two have been one at war with the other our poor renzo as the reader knows has had two such conflicting desires in his mind for several hours the wish to make his escape with the wish to remain undiscovered and the unfortunate words of the merchant had increased both one and the other to an extravagant degree his adventure then had got abroad there were means then employed to seize him who knew how many bailiffs were in the field to give him chase or what orders had been forwarded to keep a watch in the villages at the inn on the roads he reflected however that after all there were but two bailiffs who knew him and that his name was not written upon his forehead but then again a hundred stories he had heard rushed into his mind of fugitives caught and discovered in many strange ways recognized by their walk by their suspicious air and other unthought-of tokens everything excited his alarm although as he left gorgonzola the tolling of the Ave Maria sounded in his ears, and the increasing darkness every moment diminished his danger. Yet it was very unwillingly that he took the high road, proposing to follow the first by-lane which seemed likely to bring him to the point he was so anxious to reach. At first he occasionally met a traveller, but so full was his imagination of direful apprehensions that he had not the courage to detain any one to inquire his way that innkeeper said six miles thought he if by taking these footpaths and by-lanes i make them eight or even ten my legs which have lasted me so far will manage these too i'm certainly not going towards milan so i must be going towards the adda walk away then sooner or later i shall get there the Ada has a good voice, and when once I'm near it, I shan't want anyone to point it out to me. If any boat is there, I'll cross directly. If not, I'll wait till morning, in a field or on a tree, like the sparrows, better on a tree than in prison. Very soon he saw a lane turning down to the left, and he pursued it. At this hour, if he had met with anyone, he would no longer have hesitated to address him, but he heard not a footstep of a living creature he followed therefore the windings of the lane indulging the meanwhile in such reflections as these i play the devil i murder all the nobility a packet of letters i my companions keeping guard around me i'd give something to meet with that merchant face to face on the other side of the adda ah when shall i get across that blessed adda i'd make him stand and ask him at my convenience where he had picked up all this fine information just pleased to be informed my dear sir 
that the thing went so-and-so, and that all the mischief I played was helping Ferrer, as if he had been my brother. No, moreover, that those rascals who, to hear you talk, one would think were my friends, because once I said a word or two, like a good Christian, wanted to play me a very rough trick. No, too, that while you were taking care of your own shop, I was endangering my ribs to save your signor, the superintendent of provisions, a man I never either knew or saw in my life. Wait and see if I ever stir again to help gentlemen. It is true we ought to do it for our soul's good. They are neighbors, too. And that great bundle of letters where all the conspiracy was revealed, and which you know for certain is in the hands of the government, sure enough i couldn't show it to you here without the help of the devil would you have any curiosity to see this mighty packet look here a single letter yes my good sir one letter only and this letter if you'd like to know was written by a monk capable of instructing you in any point of doctrine you wish a monk without doing you injustice a single hair of whose beard is worth all yours put together and this letter i should like to tell you is written you see to another monk also a man just see now who my rascally friends are learn if you please how to talk another time particularly when you are talking about a fellow-creature after a little time however these and similar reflections gave way to others his present circumstances occupying the whole attention of our poor traveller. The dread of being pursued and discovered, which had so incessantly embittered his day's journey, now no longer gave him any uneasiness. But how many things made his nightly wanderings sufficiently uncomfortable? Darkness, solitude, increasing and now painful, fatigue, a gentle but steady and piercing breeze, which would be far from agreeable to a man still dressed in the same clothes which he had put on to go to a short distance to a wedding and quickly to return in triumph to his home only a few steps off and what rendered everything doubly irksome walking at a venture in search of a place of rest and security if he happened to pass through a village he would walk as quietly and wearily as possible, lest any of the doors should be still open. But he saw no further signs of remaining wakefulness among the inhabitants than occasionally a glancing light in one of the windows. When on the road, away from every abode, he would pause every now and then and listen eagerly for the beloved murmur of the Ada, but in vain he heard no sound but the distant howling of dogs at some solitary dwelling which floated through the air at once mournful and threatening on approaching any of these abodes the howling was changed into an irritated angry bark and in the passing before the door he heard and almost fancy he saw the fierce creatures with their heads at the crack of the door reiterating their howls this quickly removed all temptation to knock and ask shelter, and probably his courage would have failed had there been no such obstacle in his way. Who's there? thought he. 
What do you want at this hour? How did you come here? Tell who you are. Isn't there an inn where you can get a bed? This, at best, is what they will say to me if I knock, even if it shouldn't be a cowardly sleeper who would begin to shout out lustily, Help, thieves! I must have something ready for an answer, and what could I say? If anybody hears a noise in the night, nothing enters their head but robbers, villains, and rogues. They never think that an honest man may be benighted, not to say a gentleman in his carriage. He determined, therefore, to reserve this plan as a last resource in the case of necessity, and continued his way, still with the hope of at least discovering the Ada, if not of crossing it, that night and not being obliged again to go in search of it in the broad daylight on therefore he went till he reached a part where the country changed from cultivated fields into a heath of ferns and broom these seemed if not a sure indication at least a kind of argument that there was a river in the neighbourhood and he advanced across the common pursuing the path which traversed it after walking a few paces he stopped to listen but in vain the tediousness of the journey seemed to be increased by the wildness of the place not a mulberry nor a vine was to be seen nor any other signs of human culture which in the early part of his progress seemed almost like half companions to him however he still went forward beguiling the time and endeavouring to drive away the images and apparitions which haunted his mind the relics of a hundred wonderful stories he had heard by repeating as he went along some of the prayers for the dead by degrees he entered among the larger patches of brushwood wild plum trees dwarf oaks and brambles continuing his way with more impatience than alacrity he saw scattered occasionally throughout these patches a solitary tree and still following the guidance of the footpath perceived that he was entering a wood he felt a kind of reluctance to proceed but he conquered it and unwillingly went forward the further he went the more this unwillingness increased and the more did everything he saw vex and harass his imagination the bushes he discerned before him assumed strange marvellous and uncouth forms the shadows of the tops of the trees alarmed him as slightly agitated by the breeze they quivered on his path illuminated by the pale light of the moon the very rustling of the withered leaves as he trampled them underfoot had in it something hateful to his ear his limbs felt a strange impulse to run and at the same time seemed scarcely able to support him the cold night breeze blew more chilly and sharply against his forehead and throat he felt it piercing through his thin clothes to his skin which shivered in the blast and penetrating more subtly to his very bones extinguishing the last remains of vigour at one time the weariness and undefined horror with which he had so long been struggling had suddenly almost overwhelmed him he nearly lost his self-government but terrified above all things at his own terror 
he summoned up his former spirits and by a great effort forced them to assume their usual sway thus fortified for a moment he stood still to deliberate and resolved to leave the wood by the same path as he had traversed to go straight to the last village he had passed to return once more among mankind and there to seek shelter even at the inn while he thus stood the rustling of his feet among the leaves hushed and perfectly silent around him a noise reached his ear a murmur a murmur of running water he listens assures himself and exclaims it's the adda it was like the restoration of a friend of a brother of a deliverer his weariness almost disappeared his pulse again beat he felt his blood circulate freely and warmly through all his veins his confidence increased the gloominess and oppression of his mind in great part vanished away and he no longer hesitated to penetrate farther into the wood towards the friendly murmur at last he reached the extremity of the flat at the edge of the steep declivity and peeping through the bushes that everywhere covered its surface he discerned at the bottom the glittering of the running water then raising his eyes he surveyed the extensive plain on the opposite side scattered with villages beyond this the hills and on one of these a large whitish track in which he fancied he could distinguish a city bergamo undoubtedly he descended the steep a little way separating and pushing aside the brushwood with his hands and arms and looked down to see if there were any boat moving on the water or to listen if he could hear the splashing of oars but he saw and heard nothing had it been anything less than the adda renzo would have descended at once and attempted to ford it but this he knew well in such a river was not a matter of very great facility he therefore stood to consult with himself what were best to be done to clamber up into the tree and there await the dawn of morning in the chill night breeze in a frosty air and in his present dress was more than enough to benumb him to pace up and down for constant exercise all that time besides that it would have been a very inefficacious defence against the severity of the temperature was also asking too much of those unfortunate limbs which had already done much more than their duty suddenly he remembered having seen a castanado in one of the fields adjoining the uncultivated down thus the peasants of the melanese plain designated certain little cottages thatched with straw constructed of the trunks and branches of trees fastened together and filled up with mud where they are in the habit of depositing their harvest during the summer season repairing thither at night to protect it during the rest of the year they are usually unoccupied he quickly fixed upon this as his resting place for the night and again setting off on his way repassed the wood the tract of bushes and the heath and entering upon the cultivated land he quickly espied the casinado and went towards it a worm-eaten and tumbled-down door without lock or chain blocked up the entrance 
renzo drew it towards him and on entering saw a hurdle intended to serve the purpose of a hammock suspended in the air and supported by bands formed of little twigs he did not however make use of it but seeing a little straw lying on the ground thought that even there sleep would be very welcome before stretching his weary frame on the bed providence had prepared for him he knelt down to offer up his thanks for this blessing and for all the assistance he had received that terrible day he then repeated his usual prayers and having finished them begged pardon of god for having omitted them the evening before and gone to rest as he said like a dog or even worse and for this reason added he to himself resting his hands upon the straw and from kneeling changing his posture to that of lying for this reason i was awaked by such agreeable visitors in the morning he then gathered up all the straw that was scattered around and spread it over him so as to make the best covering he could to secure himself from the cold which even there under shelter made itself sufficiently felt and crouching beneath it he tried to get a little sleep thinking that he had purchased it that day more dearly than usual scarcely however had he closed his eyes before visions began to throng his memory or his fancy i cannot undertake to indicate the exact spot visions so crowded so incessant that they quickly banished every idea of sleep the merchant the notary the bailiff the sword-cutler the landlord ferrer the superintendent the party at the inn the crowds in the streets then don abondillo then don rodrigo and among so many there were none that did not bring some sad remembrance of misfortune or aversion there were but three images that presented themselves to his mind divested of every bitter recollection clear of every suspicion pleasing in every aspect and two principally certainly very dissimilar but closely connected in the heart of the youth the black-locked lucia and the white-bearded father cristoforo yet the consolation he felt in contemplating even these objects was anything but unmixed and tranquil in picturing to himself the good friar he felt more keenly than ever the disgrace of his faults his shameful intemperance and his neglect of the kind father's paternal advice and in contemplating the image of lucia we will not attempt to describe what he felt the reader knows the circumstances and must imagine it himself neither did he forget the poor agnes agnes who had chosen him for her son-in-law who had considered him almost as one with her only daughter and before receiving from him the title of mother had assumed the language and affection of one and demonstrated parental solicitude for him by her actions but it was an additional grief to him and not the least bitter one that exactly on account of these affectionate and benevolent intentions the poor woman was now homeless and almost houseless uncertain of the future and reaping sorrows and troubles from those 
very circumstances which he had hoped would be the joy and comfort of her declining years what a night poor renzo which was to have been the fifth of his nuptials what a room what a matrimonial couch and after such a day and to presage such a morrow such a succession of days what god wills replied he to the thoughts which most tormented him what god wills he knows what he does it is for our good too let it be as a penance for my sins lucia is so good god surely will not let her suffer for long for very long harassed by such thoughts as these despairing of obtaining any sleep and the piercing cold becoming more and more insufferable so that from time to time his whole frame shook and his teeth chattered in spite of himself renzo longed for the approach of day and impatiently measured the slow progress of the hours i say measured because every half hour he heard resounding through the deep silence the stroke of the large clock probably that of trezzo the first time the sound reached his ears so unexpectedly without his having the least idea whence it came it brought with it something solemn and mysterious to his mind the feeling of a warning uttered in an unknown voice by some invisible person when at last the clock had told eleven the hour renzo had determined to get up footnote it must be borne in mind by the reader that according to italian computation of time the first hour of the day is seven o'clock in the morning two o'clock answerable to eight with us and so on till seven o'clock in the evening becomes one again this arrangement would make eleven o'clock in the text the same as five o'clock in the morning in england End of footnote. he rose half benumbed with the cold and falling upon his knees repeated his matin prayers with more than ordinary devotion then standing up he stretched his limbs and shook his body as if to settle and unite his members which seemed almost dissevered from each other breathed upon his hands and rubbed them together and then opened the door of the casinato first taking the precaution to look warily about him perchance any one might be there no one being visible he cast his eye round the to discover the path he had followed the preceding evening and quickly recognizing it much clearer and more distinct than his memory pictured it he set off in that direction end of chapter seventeen part one